You're listening to Manx Radio, and I'm Judith Lay, welcoming you to the podcast of the Manx Sky at Night with Howard Parkin. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And that is the familiar music that tells us that it is time to welcome into the studio Howard Parkin for this month's edition of the Manx Sky at Night. First am I, Howard. First am I, Judith. Great to be here. Well, it feels, well, somehow it feels longer than a month since we've it done does, this. It does, and it's uh, so much going, going on, I think. Well, I think that's probably what it is. Now, have you got an action-packed agenda for oh, us tonight? Oh, I? I need about two hours, Judith. No, really, fine. Mind half an hour. <laughs> right, OK. Well, let's see what we can do about that. Uh, as usual, we start off by looking at close to home, our skies in Indeed. the coming weeks. And uh, it, it, there's, there's not as much darkness as you would like, no, is there? No, no, there's not as much darkness, but there's lots going on in the sky. That's the frustrating thing, because, of course, shortest day is literally only about three weeks away now. Uh, 21st of June, the summer solstice, and then it'll start getting dark and we'll be heading towards Christmas. And us astronomers like that because it gets dark early and we get to see more stars. But I've got a treat for you in play just for tonight, especially done this just for you, Judith. We have in the early morning sky, now if you want to see anything in the sky, you're going to be looking after midnight. And this particular event is a conjunction. We have the planet Mars and the planet Jupiter both gliding past one another. It's taken a few days. They're at the closest today at about half past three in the morning. Um, but they're going to be as close to each other as even closer than the width of the full moon. Uh, so this is quite a spectacular conjunction. Jupiter, quite unmistakable, very bright in the morning sky, in the, the the early morning sky, I'm talking about three o'clock in the morning, and just below it you'll have the fainter but noticeably red-coloured Mars. And that will be visible for quite a few days yet as they slowly pull away from each other. Mars is dropping down as Jupiter is going upwards in the sky. Uh, so that's something to look out for. And then just just to keep it going as well, on the morning of Wednesday, now I'm not asking everybody to get up early, but we have got the possibility of a spectacular meteor shower. Now the trouble with these meteor showers, um, they they predicted they could be special, and this is a one-off. This is a particular shower called the Tau Hercules, and what's happened? The comet Comet Schwarzman Washman three um, has broken up, or has been breaking up every time it's gone round the sun and in the vicinity of the Earth. And we suspect it is broken up even more. And as a result, if the comet broke apart and the pieces moved away from the nucleus of the comet at about 200 miles an hour, which is about what you'd expect, um, about half past three in the morning, uh, there could be a spectacular meteor shower. Probably going to peak better in the United States than here. But as it's just getting light, before it gets light, Look towards the northeastern horizon, which unfortunately is where the sun comes up in that vicinity. But if you're up three o'clock in the morning on Wednesday, it's worth a look. It could be spectacular. I doubt it will be, but I'd hate to be telling people, oh, don't worry, there'll be nothing to see at all. And then, of course, it's it's all over the news, what a spectacular meteor shower. So look out for it. It's, it's something um, 
Whether I get up myself to watch is debatable at the moment. I find you don't sleep much this time of the year anyway because of the light and awnings. Um, so worth poking your head out the door. If it's, if it's clear, look to the northeast horizon around the bottom of the plough, about the bottom of the plough towards the constellation of Boertes. I always say follow the curve of the handle of the plough down to Arc to Arcturus. And it's in that vicinity. That's where the meteors will come from if they are anything like what's predicted. But be warned, it's a very difficult thing to predict with any degree of accuracy but it's worth a look well it is one of those things if you happen to waken up and uh, just rather than try and settle straight off back to sleep as you say it's it, it's worth taking a look Let's give it a go. This, is, this is the thing you know we we talk about about what we it is possible to see and it's great that you can flag all these things oh, up yeah. but the i suppose that's what makes seeing things so special because you've got to have the right weather conditions oh, yes. you know on the last right program we were talking yeah you know, we we were talking about that very very special things but we didn't get the weather oh. that and the eclipse. The eclipse. We didn't. Yeah. We didn't get what. what no, it was we a shame because it had been clear every every morning. It was, it was that was going to be a great uh, eclipse that sun at moon moonset, moonset in the western sky early hours of the morning, about five o'clock, and uh, it was cloudy. I got up for that one, but it was not worth. It was nothing to see. But it was seen in quite a few other places. A few places in Britain saw it. Uh, but it was seen quite well in America again. They seem to get all the better timings at the moment, but that's just the way it goes. Indeed, yeah. And, of course, the other thing, and this is something we've commented on several times before, we've got such skilled photographers oh, yes. that if something is to be seen, the, some wonderful images, images go up on social media, don't oh, they? Oh, yes, within days, within, within seconds almost sometimes. Mm. I know Manx Radio were asking for images of the eclipse. Mm. It was quite amusing. They were asking for images on the breakfast show and uh, they were asking for images. Anyone see any pictures? And then someone said... Nobody saw anything. It was cloudy. Someone rang in. It wasn't me, but yes. Well, that was. I think that was. Um, I remember uh, talking to. I think Colin was on duty at the Met Office, and I'd said to him at the eleven o'clock bulletin when we go live to the Met Office, I'd said, "What do you think it's going to be like?" And he said quite firmly, "He said it You're will be too cloudy. He, there wasn't a, even yeah, a possibility." No, it but it, as I say, when we do see things, it does exactly. make it really special, doesn't it? Exactly, and we've got some lovely weather at the moment. In fact, going back to the morning sky, um, the, throughout the month of June, we've got there's no planets visible in the evening sky at the moment, which is just as well because it's too light to see them. But if you are up early and it is still dark around three o'clock, all the planets are visible in the sky at the moment. And at the well, I say all of them, all but Mercury. And at the end of June, Mercury will appear as well. You're going to get all the planets lined up in the sky. You're going to have Mercury, Venus, the Moon. Mars, Jupiter and Saturn, all in a big long line stretching from the eastern horizon right over to the southwestern sky. So well worth looking out for towards the end of June. Um, we'll have all of them with Mercury included as well. Um, so that's something quite spectacular, worth looking for. And it's interesting because if you draw them all, if you draw a line linking them all together, that's the line we call the ecliptic in the sky. It's one of the great things we use to, to measure and to show things in the sky. The ecliptic is the path upon which eclipses happen, hence the name eclipse, and that's why it's uh, called it. How long will do we get for the, for the possibility Ooh. of seeing that? Well, How forget many Mercury. Days? Mercury will be up and down very quickly because of its, its speed going around the sun in 88 days. It literally whips from side to side very, very quickly. But the others, Mars, Venus, Jupiter and Saturn, will be slowly tracking across the sky. The three of them, Mars, Jupiter and Saturn, will eventually appear in our more evening sky from about mid-August, September onwards. Venus, in the meantime, will dip back down towards the horizon and re-emerge in the western sky, uh, away from all the others, um, around, uh, I think it's November time. 
Uh, but we're going to have Mars, Jupiter and Saturn for quite some time to come as they track the way across the sky. And of course, Mars, we'll talk about Mars in a bit more detail after we've had our song. Uh, but Mars is so much in the news at the moment with all the things that are going on. And uh, it's just a great time to be an astronomer and a space enthusiast. But it is a great, there, there is so much more. Once upon a time, it, a, a story, anything to do with, with space and the sky and stars and whatever, it was quite a rarity. It but, was. but now it's talked about a lot. Yeah, I, I reckon you could, I'm not making a, <laughs> I'm not making a plea, but I reckon you could do a weekly astronomy programme now. There's that much to talk about all the time. And there's always something to see. And there's always something different to see. I mean, again, I'm jumping ahead of myself. But tonight, when I leave the station here at 10 o'clock tonight, anybody who's been listening and enjoyed it, it's a lovely clear night. Look about 22 minutes past 10, low in the southwest. The International Space Station will make an appearance. Um, 13 degrees above the horizon on the southwest horizon. The ISS will be putting its only appearance of TT week, I'm afraid. Um, so all these people on the bikes who may be listening to us tonight, um, just remember when you look up at the space station, that nice bright star moving across the sky, you think you're fast on your bikes. 17,500 mile an hour, that's moving to keep it up there. So that's fast. Is that a lap record? <laughs> that's much faster. Even than on the mountain road last Friday afternoon, coming along the mountain road. Gee, me, it was, it was, it was incredible. So, uh, well, um, well, yes. It, it, uh, 17 and a half. 17 and a half thousand miles an hour. That's the speed you need to stay at to stay in orbit around the Earth. Yeah. It's but pretty quick. It is. But I just think it's amazing to watch that, to, to look at that yeah. and think that people are working. Oh, yeah. There's about, I think there's seven on at the moment. They're all working and doing all sorts of stuff on there. And what is great, now I know I'm not going to get into politics for one second, but the Russians and the Americans are still cooperating 100% fully with the ISS. Despite mm -hmm. all that's going on, despite all the horrible things that are happening in Ukraine, and they have agreed to carry on working together and they're launching... Uh, astronauts and cosmonauts together, they're landing them in Russia and so on. So that is still ongoing. Uh, there is a, a worry how long it'll go on for, but at the moment they're still cooperating fully. Mm. As you say, it's it's not a subject that we can stray into now. Really, but no. I think it does indicate the fact that there are a lot of Russian people who don't want oh, this war any more than absolutely. the rest it's of the crazy. world does. And, and I think that's probably an outworking of it. I think so. That they're determined not to lose, not to lose that ground. Yeah, but course. sadly, life is not that simple, yeah. is it? No, I'm afraid not. I'll give you another bit of useless trivia, though. Go on, then. So if you straighten the TT course out, so yes. it's a long straight, well, say it's the length of the Isle of Man, which is just about the length of the Isle of Man, the Earth moves round the sun. It takes 90, a year to get round the sun, and it's 93 million miles from the sun. The Earth's orbital velocity, it would take two seconds to travel along that straight we've just made at 107,000 miles an hour is the orbital speed of the Earth going around the sun. 107,000 miles an hour. They would cover the TT course if it was a straight line in two yeah. seconds. Yeah. And all you mathematicians out there, you can check my figures if you like. <laughs> You're talking to somebody who can just about add two and two together here, Howard. But, but no, it, it, it's, it's another of these kind of myths that we put in our head that everything in space goes slowly. Yeah. Of you the know, size and we, the we look up we, and and nothing seems to the, the stars twinkle. You know, and we think, oh, it's all it's all just hanging there. Everything's yeah. just suspended. You know, I'm I'm back in the Middle Ages where exactly. everything was suspended the, the, all the on strings. Was, 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 were hung down for the hovels in the yeah. sky. Yeah, that, that was that works for me. 
but but to to for you to fire these figures at us, make well, us realise the speed of this... speed merchants and all the rest on the island. It was great to hear the bikes this afternoon going around the course. I wasn't involved; well, I was in the garden. Yeah, and just hearing the bikes again for the first time for three years, I thought, "Wow, it, mm. this is the island. This is what it's about." And I thought, I must throw some useless statistics at Judith tonight. So there you go. <laughs> Bring them on. Bring them on. We like, we like useless statistics. Right. Give us some more knowledge that we can use. What, do we, what else do we need to know about? We need to know. I don't like it, but I talk about it because it, it makes people look at it. We have the first supermoon of 2022 occurring on the 14th of June. So literally as TT week finishes, um, we have a supermoon in the sky, the first of the um, supermoons this year. Um, the moon is slightly bigger than it normally is, therefore it's deemed to be a supermoon, which was something invented by an astrologer some years ago now. And us astronomers don't like talking about astrology. I never mention the subject normally on this program. Um, but hey, if it makes people look up at the moon and enjoy it and see how wonderful it is, then so be it. We don't mind. And that's the first of three. There'll be three. I think they're actually successive months. It's June, July and August. We have got a supermoon each month. And the other great thing is, yes, we talk about the sky getting darker or getting darker later, but we have got the elusive phenomenon, of course, of noctilucent clouds. Noctilucent cloud season starts in about now, end of May, beginning of June, and runs right through to the beginning of August. And these are these clouds that are so high up that they're, they're, they're sunlit, even on a dark night. I mean, I'm not saying there are any tonight, but this is the time of the night you might see them. I'm looking out the window as we speak. And I can't see any, but they are distinctively silvery blue and very high up and very, very um, difficult to see the first time. Once you've seen them once, they're quite impressive. And even in a dark sky, you suddenly get these lit up silvery blue, electric blue, I think is often described as. And there is some evidence that these clouds are caused by um, problems with atmospheric pollution and um, climate change and all the rest. And so the study of them is becoming quite a, a science, quite important. And uh, most astronomers, because of the time of year, we can't do any deep sky, deep space observing. Uh, a lot of astronomers will switch to looking at noctilucent clouds. And I look forward to hearing our first reports that some have been seen. Usually in the West, you can get them in the sunrise at sun in the East at sunrise as well. But they're normally seen in the West uh, well after sunset, um, about an hour or two after, around midnight time, that sort of thing. Um, so look out for those. And if you see these weird, strange-looking clouds, they are noctilucent clouds. Well, night shining is what noctilucent means. Night n- shining or noctilucent. Night shining. Well, following your excellent instructions the last time, I don't know whether it was last programme or the one before that, I did actually see them. And well, you're right, it, it's, it was over to the west and it was around about midnight. Yeah. And I thought, that's it. That's what, well, that's what Howard described. The list. Yes. But, we'll make but, it a strong review yet, Judith. And they are. Well, I try. I'm very, uh, I'm very, very trying. Well. I'm very trying. As, I as, couldn't as, as anybody as anybody will tell you, but um, but no, it, it's it's true. They are very special, very very curious, and yeah, just very very beautiful, like yeah, so many things in the sky. Yeah, very much so. Now we have got to uh, we've got to watch our time because we've got lots of other things to talk yeah, about, indeed. and the music that you've chosen for us tonight, which is where we're heading to now, has got a special significance. But you're going to tell us after we've listened to it, aren't I you? I think so. Let people guess why I've picked this one.
back to 1962 with the Tornadoes and Telstar and Howard. What is special about that? Well, there's a number of things, really. That was when I really got into space for the first time. I've mentioned before many times about Yuri Gagarin in 1961 and then Telstar. This satellite was launched that gave us communications across to America. It was amazing. And the, the, the communications means by which we got it was incredible. And it was the first ever communications satellite. So the tornadoes made the song just after. Now, wind the clock forward now to about 10 years ago and I'm starting to give lectures on cruise ships and one of the things you do on a cruise ship is they have the audience coming into the theatre like in any show and they play music just like we do on Mike's Radio and I realised very early on that I could play my own choice of music start my lecture early by playing music so every lecture I give has a song and my favourite lecture I give all the time, my favourite topic is the Hubble Space Telescope. So my Hubble Space Telescope, which is about a satellite in space, always starts with the theme to Telstar. And I say to the audience, why did I play that? And someone will always get it. They don't know who the group, and someone will say it was the Shadows or it was uh, Jet Harris and Tony Meehan or something else. And uh, it's a lovely story. And it's so relevant because, of course, the Hubble Space Telescope is still a fantastic instrument and in what it's done, and it's a, it's a great subject in its own right. But it has now got a friend up there in orbit with it, of course, the James Webb Space Telescope. And I'm sure um, a lot of you saw the launch on Christmas Day of the James Webb Telescope. It launched successfully. It got into orbit. It got to its proper parking location at the Lagrange Two Point. It unraveled itself, unfolded itself. They've been sending back images already, um, explaining you know that they're getting everything. It's still not operational fully yet. They're still getting it ready. Uh, but some of these images already, they had one test star image. I might have mentioned this last month. But instead, they had they got all the 18 elements of the mirror focused into one um, focal point, and they've imaged this particular star. And it's a beautiful picture of a star. It's a very faint, nondescript little star in the constellation of Ursa Major. But behind it, there's all these galaxies giving us a hint of what this telescope is going to be doing when it gets fully operational. And I can't wait. It really is exciting. And uh, it's my lecture already has been amended to reflect the first few images we've got of the um, from the James Webb Telescope. And um, literally, they said it two months, about a month ago. So probably the end of June, beginning of July, we're going to get some very, very spectacular images. And NASA have already said that they're going to make a, a wow image. The first image we get from it is going to be really something spectacular. Um, some of you may have seen the, the famous picture of the Eagle Nebula taken by the, James, the Hubble Space Telescope in 1994 after it had been fixed. I think this image they're going to give us from the James Webb is going to be equally spectacular. And I can't wait to see it. And of course, there is always the possibility that something that is so sophisticated, so clever as, as this, that it's going to produce things that we don't even know are there. Exactly. Well, the and I suppose that's that. the whole Hubble's point. done that already, and that's yeah. the whole point of um, the James Webb. Totally different instrument, only got a lifespan of 10 years because of the, the nature of what it is. Um, but uh, it's it's going to popularise science even more. But they say that. But we, you and I have talked about things that have outlived the predicted oh, yes. life. Oh, that's very much so. You know, so whilst they've... You've got to put a life on anything, oh, I course. guess. I mean, they're saying it, it originally was planned for 10 years, but they might be able to double that. Who knows? But uh, mm. so far, it's been going extremely well. And... Uh, Let's hope it continues. Well, yeah, and we wait for the wow image. Absolutely. Okay. And that leads us nicely on to talking about spacecraft, because on Mars, of course, I mentioned Mars already, we've got three spacecraft roving around the surface of Mars at the moment and a number of landers. And there's a spacecraft that landed in 2017 called Mars InSight. 
It's actually a spacecraft, it's a static spacecraft on the surface of Mars, and it's looking for Mars quakes, earthquake equivalents on Mars. And it's recorded some, and it's been quite successful. It's been very successful, in fact. But they've just released an image, NASA, of this spacecraft sitting on the surface of Mars. They've released an image showing it on the surface of Mars in its pristine, just-landed condition. And now they've sent us back an image on May the 8th, I think it was, this month, um, showing the spacecraft. It's completely covered in Martian dust. Uh, the solar panels are hardly collecting any electricity anymore. Uh, unless there's a, a Mars dust storm, which will blow the panels and uh, wipe the dust off them, um, it, they reckon it's on its last legs, unfortunately, which is such a shame. And although the spacecraft will continue working, or could continue working, if you could just get the dust off the yeah. solar panels. But it's quite a spectacular image because you see this lovely, pristine, brand new machine sitting on the surface of Mars in 2017. And now everything's covered in red dust. And there's, there's not been a windstorm to blow them away. And I think it's going, to, it's going to die on us, I'm afraid, which is a great shame. But again, it shows that the spacecraft, I think the spacecraft only had a official life of a year. I think it was one Mars year, which is 680 days, so two years. So it should have packed up in 2019, but funding was provided for it. And it's still going strong five years later. But I don't think it's going to make a fifth anniversary in November. No, Shame, but, but, but well, it, well, it is. And, and it does show that no matter how clever we are, there is, you know, something in the elements that we can always be defeated yeah. by. But again, it's outlived. It's predicted. Oh, definitely. Usefulness, isn't it? So, it's usefulness. Yeah. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's, it's shown us there are earthquakes on Mars or Mars quakes on Mars. And yeah. uh, that was not unexpected, but we thought Mars was more... Uh, of a, a, a dead world rather than geologically active, uh, but it's actually more active than they thought it would be. And this is, of course, great news to the scientists who are researching Mars very closely, because, of course, one of the ultimate goals in the next 10 years or 15 years' time is to go to Mars. And this is all precursors for that and the various missions that are taking place um, presently on Mars and scheduled for launch. Of course, ironically, we were talking before about Russia and that, um, the European Space Agency mission to Mars, the Rosalind Franklin rover, which was due for launch in 2020, postponed because of COVID, due for launch in 2022, now postponed because of the Russian situation. And it's unlikely it's going to get launched in 24. They go every two years to Mars. It's probably going to get put back to 26. And then, of course, the technology is that much older. And, you know, all that engine built in um, Stevenage in, um, in England. Um, and I, I worry that it won't ever get off the ground such, such a shame, but uh, that's mm. politics, I'm afraid, it interferes with science and as mm. indeed does with everything. Yeah, but it, it is such a pity. I suppose that they'll, they'll build on the technology. Oh, but it's yeah. um, They will the, rebuild it rather rebuild. than scrap it. They yeah, will, well, will change out the, the components, I'd suggest. Yeah, but it does also, it does indicate how quickly things change. Oh, yes, that, very much That so. in a few years, it's... It, it was it, touch and go whether they went in 2020, but they thought, no, we'll be, be on the safe side because we couldn't get the communications between the different factions building it and designing it and everything. Uh, let's wait two years and go for the next launch window in 2022. Because mm, yes. everyone else went in 2020. The, the Chinese, the, um, mm. uh, the, uh, the Emirates and the Americans went in 2020. And of course, all were successful. And the Europeans stroke Russians. It was a joint spacecraft. were meant to go together. And of course, it's now a European-only space mission. And um, they're frantically trying to get some way of getting it into space. But uh, I think it's look, it'll be lucky if it goes in 24. Well... 
as, as we say, as, at the risk of making a pun, watch this space. Absolutely Pum-pum. right. You'll recall, most of you who are listening to this programme avidly, I hope, um, that the Americans went into space with the SpaceX Dragon in 2020, and that was the first of two commercial companies going into space. The second one is Boeing, and the Boeing Starliner had a test about a year ago, 18 months ago, and unfortunately didn't work 100% successfully. So they've just had an unmanned test flight of the Boeing Starliner. It came back last week. It was 100% successful, and now they're planning to launch it with men and women on board, uh, possibly as early as August, but certainly before the end of the year. So again, as you mentioned so appropriately a moment ago, Judith, watch this space. <laughs> it's this whole business of opening up space travel to, we haven't quite got there yet, but opening space travel so that it does become accessible and affordable. Indeed. And, um, and, and who would have thought, you know, 30, 40 years ago that exactly. we would be have, even having the conversation? Exactly. Well, well, Howard, we have, as always, been beaten by the clock. I'm very pleased to say that you're going to be back in the studio with us on the final Sunday of the month of June, taking another look at the Manx sky and further afield in outer space. Howard, thank you very much indeed My for joining you. us. Good night. Fast, fast to mind. 